Today on Ag News Daily. The substitution between beef, pork, and chicken is a heck of a lot less today than it was uh, 15 or 20 years ago. And, and I say that because uh, if you think about how we consume meat today, all right, not everybody goes to the local IGA and cooks their own beef, right? Good afternoon and welcome to a Thursday episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr, joined, of course, today by Delaney Howell. But before we jump into some news and get to chatting here, I wanted to, of course, mention that we are sponsored today by National Pork Board. As a pig farmer, you know that sustainability is doing what's right for people, pigs, and the planet. However, doing what's right must be shared with today's savvy consumers to help grow public trust in pig farming while protecting your freedom to operate. To measure and document your farm sustainability efforts, National Pork Board encourages you to create a free on-farm sustainability report. These reports can help increase production efficiencies and improve your bottom line. Request your free report at porkcheckoff.org slash sustainability. Now with that, Delaney, it's time for us to do some chatting today because you have something cool that you wanted to share with us today. Yes, I do. So this morning I was out and about downtown Des Moines doing some errands and recording some video and whatnot for a client. And I stopped at this little place that I've always wanted to stop at. And for those of you that have been to the Iowa State Fair, you'll have some sort of understanding or visualization of what I'm talking about. But there's this place called Botters, which is a tent, no, a vendor at the Iowa State Fair that that sells ice cream. And they have really good ice cream. And so today I decided just on a whim, you know, there's a Botters storefront in Des Moines. And I assumed it was the same place that is the one that puts on the booth or the vent at the state fair. And it was, in fact, and they just had a really interesting story. So Mrs. Botter, who started the ice cream shop, actually started it as a pharmacy slash ice cream shop. And then the current family that's running it now, the father of the woman who's currently running it purchased it back in, I think she said like 1963 or something like that. But for a long time, it was ice cream and pharmacist was their two services. And I stopped today and tried a little ice cream. She kind of went into the whole backstory of it and gave me a good sample. And Ashton, I know that you like ice cream. I'm a huge ice cream person. They do peppermint stick ice cream, which is very fitting, I think, for this time of year as we head into Christmas time. And so they do peppermint stick ice cream with fudge syrup on top. And it was to die for. So needless to say, I had to bring a couple samples home. But I just thought that was such an interesting story. It is very interesting. And I'm jealous that you got to have some. And I can't because I am super big on ice cream. I mean, I have such a sweet tooth. So I'm definitely a little bit jealous today. I have a pretty big sweet tooth as well. So that's why I had to buy some and still a small family business. So I really like that. I was trying to think when I was talking to her today, I'm like, can this be related to agriculture? Probably not quite to the point where we could have her on as an interview, but she'd have a really interesting story to tell. Well, Delaney, we have some stories to tell of our own today. I guess it's not our own, but just kind of relaying the messages here. But we have some news to talk about today. We do. 
And, you know, it's been kind of dry the past couple of days. And I mean, leading into the holiday season, not super surprised here. So don't have a whole lot to discuss. But one thing that I did wanted to bring up is the Biden administration's emphasis on the trucking workforce to relieve some supply chain issues. The administration is implementing a 90-day action plan, placing an emphasis on training and providing veterans, underrepresented communities, and apprentice drivers from 18 to 20 years old trucking jobs. U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg tells Brownfield Ag News that the White House is working with the Department of Labor and Transportation to really see this through. And we've talked just because of ag labor issues, Delaney, here about, you know, what's going on in transportation. And I think we've seen quite a bit, I would say, come through for our truckers. So I am excited to see where this goes, but just an announcement that I wanted to discuss. Well, Ashton, I want to discuss one other current event that I got to live through last night. A little bit anecdotal, but a little bit of news as well. So as I mentioned on the podcast yesterday, there were a lot of straight line winds that swept through Iowa, Nebraska, Wisconsin, a lot of the of the Midwest here. And, you know, we weren't really entirely sure if it was going to be derecho level winds, but it proved to be very similar. Winds were anywhere from 70 to 100 miles per hour. Thankfully, we did not lose electricity last night, but I know that some parts of Des Moines did. Uh, But more than 36 million people were under high wind warnings and several Coloradians apparently clocked in gusts of wind over 100 miles per hour. So it's certainly been a big storm cell that swept through and we didn't have too much damage done to our house, but we had some shingles ripped off the roof, a little siding on the house. So it was a little bit terrifying to sleep through because I, I was talking to Blaine last night on the phone. He's in Wisconsin for work this week. So he also got to experience it a couple of late hours later. But I think this is silly, I know. But laying in bed last night, I thought, can that roof get ripped off completely? Because that's how it <laughs> felt. It felt like there was someone climbing on the roof, like trying to rip the shingles off. It was a little terrifying, but it was just wind, I know. Um, but assessing the damage this morning, I'm pretty thankful that that's all we had to deal with. Delaney, I can't remember if we've talked about this before, but have you ever like lived through a tornado? Um, I think yes, kind of. Like when I was little, I was at a postal convention. My grandparents were were postmasters, so I went to a post office convention with them. And I remember, I don't know how old I was, maybe ten or younger, but I remember that the hotel woke us up and brought everyone to the basement, and we all had to like camp out there for a long time because they were. Tornadoes. So I think technically I've lived through one. I don't really remember it that well. Have you? I have, but I'm going to do a quick pause here. Your grandparents being postmasters, that is a whole other story that we're (laughs) going to have to get into later because my jaw just dropped. But yes, I have lived through a few tornadoes in my time. And it made me laugh just thinking of you laying in bed, thinking that your whole roof is going to be torn off because, I mean, we've had, I don't know how many trampolines, Delaney, we've had Mm -hmm. that have just gone missing. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. That is totally fair. So as a kid, that was definitely scary the next morning waking up and my trampoline no longer being there. So that was a pretty traumatic experience for me as a child. But moving on here, I wanted to 
follow up a little bit on the wild boar story that we talked about yesterday. It's a little bit of a follow-up just because I think that this article kind of goes in line with what you and I were talking about yesterday when it came to wild boar and biosecurity. Of course, wild boar have been a big issue with African swine fever. And in Germany, they're talking about culling a lot of these wild boar, and it's going to be critical in combating African swine fever. Germany is in talks with the European Union about some financial support for farmers who give up pig production in regions threatened by African swine fever. China and other buyers that banned imports of German pork back in September of 2020 after the first swine fever case was confirmed in wild boar. And I think that this kind of speaks volumes to what Germany is trying to do to combat this. I am not sure what their plan is, but their goal, of course, is to stop the spread and eradicate African swine fever. But I don't know if culling, you know, a certain amount of wild boar or, you know, maybe all of these wild boar is really going to help in a major way. But I thought it was interesting. I would want to see a little bit more of what their plan exactly is. But all I know right now is that they are wanting to cull these wild boars. Well, Ashton, speaking of goals, the Fed put out some new goals yesterday afternoon at their meeting. And uh, Federal Chair Jerome Powell shared that they would be taking some measures here to try and taper inflation. And so as they're trying to rein in prices here that hit a 39-year high last month, the Fed said that they will be looking to do an accelerated interest rate increase here in 2022 and are expecting to raise that interest rate about three times over 2022. So, you know, I don't think this comes as any surprise. They they pointed basically to the fact that we've had really strong, a really strong economy lately. And, you know, for a long time there, they were kind of avoiding raising any interest rates because they wanted to encourage consumer spending. They say that's happened and that inflation is getting to a point where they're a little bit concerned. And so they will be starting to increase interest rates, which again, comes as no surprise. And we've seen interest rates so low for, you know, over a year now. Um, I think this is just kind of part of the next step here to hopefully prevent any further inflationary measures. Well, Delaney, I just have one other thing that I wanted to talk about today, and this one really got me excited. Jacqueline Wilson with Flying Diamond Beef says that she has gathered data from genomic testing for tenderness, facial recognition, and implanted health sensors for the past six months at that Nebraska ranch with their cattle. And I thought it was pretty interesting because the results have created a niche market. Jacqueline said that one of the biggest places that they've gotten the most interest from is the banking industry. Wilson says that health data and proof of life records help increase transparency and that they're eager to see the return on investment. She told Brownfield Ag News that this will likely create more market opportunities in the future. But I thought it was really interesting because this is the first of its kind, this technology to track cattle through the supply chain. And, you know, these steers are now able to purchase. So I am really going to try to reach out to Jacqueline, have her come on the podcast to talk a little bit more about this and really get to know more about what this technology is actually doing. 
Yeah, that sounds like that would be a fantastic Tech Tuesday interview, Ashton. So I'm glad that you found that one there. I have just a couple other quick pieces of news today. Going back to a little policy that was passed today, President Biden signed into law a bill that will raise the U.S. debt limit by two and a half trillion dollars to thirty one point four trillion dollars after this bill already achieved congressional approval during a partisan vote on Tuesday. It essentially avoids the risk of an American default, but does further expand our national deficit spending problem that uh, has, I think, also been part of the reason the Fed has decided to move forward with some changes in interest rates here. So a little interesting news there. You know, I don't know if you've ever calculated this or seen a billboard, but I've seen stuff sometimes that will say, you know, if our debts were called in by X, Y and Z countries, companies, et cetera. I don't remember how much it was per American, but it's a lot of money that each American would owe if our debts were ever called in. Well, Delaney, I am all out of news for today, so I'm ready to talk markets if you are. I certainly am as well. Well, before we get into markets here, we have to do a quick reminder for our supporters for today's podcast, National Pork Board. As a pig farmer, you know that sustainability is doing what's right for people, pigs, and the planet. However, doing what's right must be shared with today's savvy consumers to help grow public interest in pig farming while protecting your freedom to operate. To measure and document your farm's sustainability efforts, National Pork Board encourages you to create a free on-farm sustainability report. These reports can help increase production efficiencies and improve your bottom line. Request your free report at porkcheckoff.com slash sustainability. And with that, let's go ahead and hop into the markets here. And it looks like we've got some good news here for grains as there is grain across the screen here. Starting out with the corn front month contract up five and a half cents to close at five ninety one and a quarter. The May up five and a half cents to close at five ninety two and three quarters. In soybeans, the January contract up fourteen and three quarter cents to close at twelve seventy seven and a quarter. The March up thirteen cents to close at twelve seventy eight and a quarter. In the wheat pits, the March up. 14 and a half cents close at 770 and a half. The May up 13 cents close at 775. Kicking things over to livestock. Got some mixed trade in cattle here, kicking things off with a live cattle. The December contract, even though we're already here well into December, closed 27 and a half cents higher at 135, 27 and a half. The February up 47 and a half cents close at 137.05. The April up two and a half cents close at 140.95. In feeder cattle, the January contract down 85 cents close at 162.57 and a half. The March down 15 cents close at 164.32 and a half. Heading over into lean hogs here, the February up a dollar Oh, two and a half to close at 80.35. The April up 67 and a half cents to close at 84.87 and a half. Closing things out in the milk parlor, the class three dairy milk futures, the December contract. Again, I know we're well into December here, but they did close eight cents lower at 18.49. The January down 18 cents to close at 19.62. And the February contract up a cent to close at 19.95. With that, I'm going to kick it over to part two of the packing and a processing session. If you want to tune into part one, you can do so at agnewsdaily.com. Hi, 
Ashton Carr. I'm a graduate student at Texas Tech University and a co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Earlier this summer, we saw the slowdown of pork processing line speeds, but uh, USDA recently announced they have a trial going with nine processing plants. They're ramping speeds back up. So just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that and maybe see some of the effects that we might see if we do kind of see pork processing plants start to ramp up their, their line speeds once again. So, so good question. Um, and, and I'll, I'll take it this way. So right now on the pork side, given where, uh, hog slaughter has been so far this year, we really frankly haven't needed that little extra capacity on the pork side. Uh, you know, we've turned down in terms of, of slaughter numbers this year. Uh, for me, the fact that we've come back to now allow these nine plants to, to increase speeds again, uh, is anticipatory. If you will, uh, we're not going to keep hog numbers. I don't think at at their current levels for, forever. Uh, maybe we're going to still see 2022 as a year of uh, not growing pork supplies. But I think that day will come where we need the capacity. And and just as was alluded to in cattle, it's hard to build a new pork processing plant, just as hard as it is a cattle processing plant. So the the more we can run the current plants we have. At faster line speeds, the, the more the capacity we can, you know, we can handle. So, um, I, I think when we're starting to talk about needing to run, you know, 2.6, 2.7 million head of hogs a week, uh, we, we need that, that line speed increase if we're going to keep up. Uh, otherwise we find ourselves in a situation where we have hog prices very low and perhaps pork prices very high. Those margins will widen back out. Um, so, um, it, it's a it's a tough issue, and again, I, I'm not even addressing is it safe, you know, to increase those line speeds. I, you know, I'm just talking about straight. What are the economics of of that? And we're going to need as much capacity as we can find the next time we grow the sow herd in this country. Sure, I'm in the back. Short mic. <laughs> uh, Will Robinson, Brownfield Ag News. So, Scott, we've talked about this in the past, and uh, you alluded to this earlier. Um, but you talked about, you know, just because you have more price discovery doesn't necessarily you're going to get higher prices for cattle. So with all the legislation kind of out there floating around for the cattle market, what's the likelihood that could actually potentially lead to lower prices long term? You're going to have to stay in that stance during their answer, if you don't mind. That'd be great. <laughs> and, and I've got a 20-minute response, so you better get it. Um, so, it, so I'll be general here for a minute. Anytime we have government intervention, oftentimes we find unintended consequences of that government intervention. Maybe not all the time. Um, so... It, it's a tough question to decide whether we need the government to step in and do minimum negotiated trade in, in cattle markets, let's say. Um, I, I think as, you know, I think if we were to come back here a decade from now, we likely find fewer players, not more players. And this becomes more of an issue, not less of an issue. And, and exactly when do we tip over to it's too thin for good price discovery? Uh, I, I think it's tough for an economist to answer that question. I, I don't think there's a magic number. Um, oftentimes I say this is where Department of Justice matters a lot uh, in, in terms of making that decision. But but legislation, 
as, as well-meaning as it may be, uh, often will have consequences that weren't anticipated. Um, I came from a dairy conference early this week, and I reminded folks <laughs> that the food box program, so we spent $6 billion on the food box program, and part of that had a lot of uh, some cheese in the box, but not other dairy products. And all of a sudden, that created uh, uneven un help to the dairy industry because those producers that were producing milk destined for cheese saw a big in, saw a big boost. Other producers did not, and they're going to grapple with that. And in fact, we see USDA coming back with another program trying to help offset some of the effects that we got from uh, what I will say was the food box program. Um, again, any kind of negotiation, any kind of legislation on minimum negotiated levels at times could create uh, unanticipated effects, potentially leading to lower prices. Yeah, I'll, I, I, I will address this as well. I can tell you from my own experience that, the market is substantially different when all players are in the marketplace buying cattle. Uh, there's one, one particular major packer plant, um, major in our area that when they are not in the market, the prices are definitely lower. Um, I think we have gone too little on the cash trade. Um, and CBAs, um, have, when they're just this week, um, come out and said that according to their uh, voluntary framework is too little. I don't know necessarily what that number necessarily is, but I do believe it needs to be higher than what it is today, and that's where our organization is pushed for. But there is a strong, strong correlation on my own business when every major packer is in the market purchasing cattle and they're not doing it through via formula, we have a better market. A couple dollars a time. Yep. Makes it, you know, yep. adds up. Yep. You know, and, and unfortunately, some of these economic um, research studies they don't they don't dictate that or show that um, when those when those when those players are not in the marketplace, um, how that affects the market. And uh, and I, I think that's where the some of the economic policies that. But uh, but to, to Scott's point, yeah, I mean, I do I do think we need to be careful with unintended consequences because um, there is going to be some. But but I. But I think we've gotten the cash trade too too little. If the cattleman and woman, if the if the person selling the animals doesn't get much of a price change, but they do have more control over their over what they can do, is that is that a, a victory in itself, or do you think your members really or whoever's investing in this will really want to see whether that's five bucks or three bucks or? I, I guess, can you repeat the question? I mean, Sorry. If, if I get the same price, but I have, I feel like I have more control on how I market my cattle. Do you think that's going to be good enough for Well, for it, it's, it's interesting. You know, they talk about the AMAs it being, it being economies of efficiency in that. Uh, and there is, there's, there's definitely some efficiencies, I think, on the packer end uh, because the packers are getting set up to be efficient because they're getting a product that they want for the consumer. However, I think it's coming at the expense of the producer. Um and, and, you know, I can, I, I talk, when I talk to my uh, colleagues in the South, they'll tell you the AMAs that they do is not to get rid of the good, you know, it's to get rid of the poor quality cattle. 
it isn't necessarily to get rid of the better quality cattle. And you look at, the, at what's going on in the north where a lot of the more cash negotiators, those cattle are the better quality cattle. And those are the ones getting cash negotiated. So it'd be, and again, it'd be interesting to see, and there's been no economic studies on this as well. What, what's one worth in the north which versus what's one worth out in the south on, on an AMA? So, um, uh, and, you know, that's why some of these policies has come out and why some of these organizations have pushed, pushed forward through it. I have a random question. Do you have truck driver issue where you are? I, do. I mean, if they're going to drive a truck do. to Dodge City and back, however long they got to wait in line, what all goes it's, with that? It is, it, uh, particularly this last year, it's become a major, major problem. Um, I own a semi myself and I hate driving it, but I'm forced to drive it just because I literally cannot find truck drivers all my cattle. Like the, the, the pots, you know, those things, I mean, you're not putting corn in a, something that you're going to haul no. with cattle in, but the people to actually drive the trucks is yeah, the issue. It's it, the labor, uh, the trucking shortage. And a lot of them, a lot of them have gone over to over the road, um, um, the pay has become that much better for them. And so they've, they've, you know, you've, we've lost some truckers to that. Do you think that a corn farmer who doesn't have cattle sees potential in this as well? Like if, if this could improve, could this improve the price of the elevator? Could this, could this lift my corn price five cents a bushel? I mean, is, is that a possibility or? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a different, like I mean, it's a totally different market. You got, uh, um, I mean, I, I, within 30 miles, I probably could get, you know, sell my corn to various co-ops, ethanol plants, uh, livestock guys, pork, chicken, you know, hmm. it's a, it's a totally different, uh, uh, marketplace. I, I don't think they know they're looking at okay. seeing just a little bit of bump in price. Right. Anything else? Yeah, go ahead. Do you have one too? Okay. Uh, one. Yeah, Coulter Brown Northern Egg Network. I was just thinking, you know, with the the high retail price we're seeing of of beef to the consumer right now, as we look forward to next year, do you think we start to test that demand at all from consumers? Uh, given the the cattle supply situation, it seems like prices aren't likely to move lower, at least on the cost side from the the packing plant. So, do you think we start to test that demand, or does the packer are they going to be forced to give up margin on both ends? Yeah. Roast beef at my local IGA was fourteen ninety nine a pound a couple of weeks ago, and I I chose something else. But that's that's just one example. But that's I still got beef. I just didn't get roast beef at the deli. Um, but yeah, good good question. Um, is there a tipping point, or or what will these high retail prices do? So I think there's two issues to to address here, and, and one is relative prices, right? So. You know, does beef price itself out of the protein market? Uh, and I would argue that substitution between beef, pork, and chicken is a heck of a lot less today than it was uh, 15 or 20 years ago. And, and I say that because um, if you think about how we consume meat today, all right, not everybody goes to the local IGA and cooks their own beef, right? Mm-hmm. We, we eat so much away from home. And... You know, I don't, I don't go to the new Raising Canes that just opened in Columbia, Missouri to eat beef, right? So I make the choice about the protein I want by the restaurant I pick, and that restaurant often is going to specialize in one at most two of those, you know, major proteins. So I, I see a lot less substitution that might be that, hey, we cut off beef demand because consumers all of a sudden switch to pork or chicken. 
For me, the tougher question when I look ahead is just overall income levels and inflation in the other bundle of consumption that we're going to talk about. I don't care fuel costs, utilities. I mean, you name it, right? Everything's gone up in front of us. And I'll, I'll say even further, one thing that worries me. So we've seen an economy that's just been on fire, right? But better than we would have thought. All right. You ask an economist, uh, in, in the throes of COVID-19, what their concern was, and it was recession. And yet we've never really seen it. And in fact, demand's pulling like no tomorrow. If you look at the forecasts for income and consumption expenditures in 2022, there's some interesting dynamics going on as we get less stimulus in the economy of will consumers have less money in their pockets. And one way they won't is if they start saving less. And, and so are consumers going to be willing to spend, spend, spend? And thus far, all the data says yes. But if that day of reckoning comes where they decide, I'm going to kind of close in here a little bit, I, I worry, but it's across all the meats, not just beef. Um, I, I think we've gotten used to some of these higher prices, and, and it's hard to find there's a choke point um, that, that comes out, out of – it's a really good question – I, I say if demand were to go away for beef, I don't want to have that discussion about where cattle prices go. I don't care what packer margins are. Um, it, it, it'll be a tough ride for a period of time. Thank God we've had really strong demand for the last few years. And, and, and I'll add to that. Part of, the, part of the reason you're also seeing beef demand phenomenally as well as it is is, is, the, is the grocery store chains have, have been – Going towards that as a feature to get people into the store. You've seen that switch here over probably four, five, six years ago. Um, but kind of about the time that Amazon actually announced buying of Whole Foods just so shortly before that. But there for a while, there's about a decade where the, they've kind of went away from not featuring beef and now has become a staple. And, 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 and they'll, you know, it'll be still become, it may become a lost leader for them. And it's, they're still going to, to, um, to feature that. And, and if that goes away, that would definitely hurt demand, but I don't see that in the near future. Any closing thoughts? Anything you really want to? Get off your chest while you have a microphone. Well, I was talking to Scott earlier before the panel. Is that, you know, the industry is going to change. Um, I do think we're going to be seeing uh, this capacity going on. I think um, uh, there's better days ahead for producers. Um, hopefully we start getting some rains in the um, the areas where there are droughts because uh, um, it'll, it'll get worse. Um, things could get potentially worse and out of whack. Uh, if you don't start to see that. So um, but I pray for that. But, uh, um, yeah, it'll be interesting going forward. Okay. Scott? It's just hard not to be bullish cattle right now. I, I, I say that um, when you look at just what supplies to me look like as we get, again, more 2023, uh, I, I think we're going to be short, and it could be interesting. Just look at Fed Cattle Futures for the 2022 period right now. Uh, we're talking about futures that go up every month, it looks like to me, and you look out there. Uh, and, and so, I, I, again, I think there's some opportunity for maybe producers to be in a better situation than they've come through of late. Um, but, but the second point I'll say to all of this discussion, when you think about how economics are going to work, and there are economies of scale at almost every stage of cattle production, I, I look out my windshield in Missouri and I see a lot more 500 cow operations than I did a decade ago. 
So I think we're getting bigger at every level. It's different, but that's going to continue to happen if you just let economics run. Those economies of scale will continue to make us become more concentrated over time. And so how does the industry want to grapple with the, with the idea that we're going to continue to concentrate? And the fact we've come through all this discussion about pricing, I, I go, I don't think it goes away. It may go away here for a period of time because we're going to be short cattle, but there'll be a period of time down the road where we're not short cattle and we might have the next discussion about, are we too concentrated? And, uh, that, that, I just see us continuing to see concentration happen in this industry. Again, that was the final piece of NAFB audio that we had to share with you guys this year. Definitely exciting being able to re-listen to what was discussed. It was certainly interesting to talk about some of these big key things that are moving and shaking in the ag industry, but it seems like the ag industry never stops moving and shaking, and we are going along with it as we try and bring you the latest when it comes to news and some interesting stories. You can, of course, tune into any episode of the Ag News Daily podcast at agnewsdaily.com or wherever you find your podcasts. With that, I'm going to let the people go.